The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Cliff Schechter. I will be guest hosting for the next hour of the Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks for tuning in. We've got some great guests this afternoon. Going to be doing some talking, of course, about politics. Can't get away from politics with Donald Trump uh, slowly but surely making what's called making an impression on the world. Um, First up, we're going to speak to David Neer, who's the political director of Daily Coast. We'll have John Aravosis on the second half of the hour. I think David's on the phone right now. Are you there, my friend? Hi, Cliff. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Did I did I pronounce your last name right, by the way? That's right. Neer, like the opposite of far. All right. That's what I thought. Good. You don't want to start off embarrassing yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, one other thing I have to <laughs> I have to say, reading your bio, I knew a lot about you. You know, you've been the political director at Daily Coast for I think since 2011. Uh, and before that, I used to read your blog Swing State pretty religiously, um, which had you know uh, all the right information as you give now at Coast on what's going on in various races. I didn't know, however, you were a Mets fan. That could be a point of contention because I grew up in. In Manhattan, even I'm, I'm a Midwesterner now via wife, but uh, I did grow up in New York, and and I, you know, my dad was from the Bronx, so I'm guessing you can guess what team I've always rooted for. Uh, I, I, is there a team up in the Bronx? I'm, I'm not too familiar. <laughs> well played, um, and with that we can get to politics because I, I was very impressed <laughs> by that answer. Um, so I'm happy to talk baseball though too. Uh, we could, yeah, we could do that another time. Maybe, maybe when the Yankees and, and uh, Mets are playing, we can talk some trash to each other. Or when the Mets are inevitably beating uh, the Cincinnati Reds, who I've adopted by my, from living in my new hometown. But I watched the equivalent of a fire sale a few years ago. With and that's a whole other thing. Don't get me started. I'll complain a lot. Um, <laughs> but let's complain about politics instead. Um, or actually, there's some good news for once. I, I really wanted to have you on because I wanted to talk a bit about. Uh, the upcoming, we've got about four or five upcoming congressional races. I mean, we've got one going on already with voting with California, but that's a pretty Democratic seat. But I'd like you to tell people a little more so people know about the Georgia 6th race a little bit. I think you've helped raise a large amount of money for it over at your perch at, at Coast, as well as let people know what's going on there. There's been some early voting. So maybe we could start with that. You could let people know what's going on, how to get involved, uh, and then talk about some of these other races that are I've been hearing are potentially winnable with great candidates like in Montana and Kansas, for example. Yeah, so let's definitely talk about Georgia. So Donald Trump nominated Congressman Tom Price to be his Secretary of Health and Human Services, which means that he's his point man for destroying Obamacare. And (laughs) what that means is that Price's House seat, which is Georgia's 6th Congressional District, is now vacant. And so there's a special election. And what's super interesting about this seat is it's in the Atlanta suburbs. It's a very well-off, well-educated area. 
And historically, it was also a very Republican area. In fact, Mitt Romney won that district in 2012 by over 20 points. But this district totally rebelled against Trump, and he only won it by just one point last year. And when we took notice of that, we said, huh, maybe Democrats would actually have a shot in a special election in this district. And it turns out it's looking like we actually might. Democrats have rallied around a young investigative filmmaker named John Ossoff, and the outpouring of support has been amazing. I mean, the exact same intensity and enthusiasm that we have seen in the streets, in the phone calls and letters and emails and faxes people are sending to their members of Congress, it's poured out also uh, on the money front. And people wow. have donated a ton to Ossoff. Like we millions, right? I mean, he's, he's raised a couple million dollars, hasn't he? Uh, more than that. Uh, according to the, the latest reports from his campaign, uh, he's raised over $4 million. And oh, wow. at Daily Coast, uh, it's, he's totally broken our records. To put things in context, our previous record holder was Elizabeth Warren. We raised $400,000 for her Senate race in 2012. Uh, yep. We have raised over a million for Ossoff. And uh, that really does put things in context. <laughs> yep. That's I mean, yep. I mean, when you when you when you get uh, two and a half times what you raised for Elizabeth Warren, that's incredible. I think you're right. You see the energy in the streets right now. Um, we've even seen it in some local elections that Delaware State Senate race ended up, you know, that, yep. that should have been a potential Republican seat or a close race ended up being a Democratic blowout. So the Democrats retained control there. And uh, I'm not sure everybody knows that race, but but, you know, that happened. That was big. We see this now. Isn't there some early also some early voting going on? I saw something up. I, I'm trying to remember if it was from the upshot or something on Twitter where it looked like the the margin that Ossoff was up at this point. I mean, uh, granted, it's only like, I think, four or five days of early voting or something of that nature, maybe seven or eight, but he was up like 55 to 29 percent or something like that. Yeah, there have been some attempts to read the tea leaves of early voting. I think I'm feeling a little bit gun-shy about that after (laughs) the conclusions that a lot of us drew from the early voting numbers last year. But I think what's more telling than the early vote is the Republican spending, because the way this race works is that all candidates from all parties run together in a single ballot on April 18. And if no one takes a majority, then the top two from any party advance to uh, a runoff in June. Republicans are now acting as though they are afraid that Ossoff could win outright on April 18 by clearing 50 percent of the vote. And we know that it's not just uh, them trying to play games because they're spending over $4 million on attack ads trying to undermine Ossoff to make sure he doesn't win a majority. And the most amazing development happened today where this super PAC that's tied to Paul Ryan put out a web ad that actually featured a photo of Osama bin Laden and tried to tie John Ossoff to terrorism. <laughs> wow, they're going back to some old tricks there. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden. I can't remember. Who was the guy that killed him? Was it George W. Bush or Donald Trump? I, I digress, oh. of course. The, the, I digress. Oh, you know what? I remember who it was. It was Barack Obama. That's right. He was the one that got him. He he wasn't the one yeah. that illegally traded with Iran or has had all sorts of private uh, do, doings with Russia that may lead him to be impeached. That, those are Republicans, right? I, 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 yeah, that's right. No, no, it's good that we're having this conversation to refresh our memory. Yeah, thanks, Obama. 
Yeah, thanks, Obama. You're terrible. So, okay, that's the Ossoff race. We got Osama bin Laden showing up. That should let everybody know how desperate they are. I mean, that sort of tells the story. You know, and again, as David pointed out, in a district that Mitt Romney won handily, and even you know Donald Trump with Trump and Hillary was about tied. Um, and you're looking at this now. So, um, what about a few of the other races? I've heard about this folk singer Quist in uh, I may be mispronouncing his name in Montana, who everybody's raving about. Um, have you guys looked at that race yet? Yes. Uh, we've also endorsed Rob Quist. Um, he is a very popular musician in Montana. He's been on the music scene there for decades. And he has this real interesting image uh, as an outsider and a populist. And his campaign is almost his, sorry, his opponent is almost the exact opposite of that. Uh, a very wealthy Republican businessman who only moved to the state not all that long ago. Named from Greg New Jersey, Jorge. right? <laughs> uh, pardon me? I said from New Jersey, which I know is a very popular oh, place out in Montana. That's right. That, that's, right. that's right. And and so this guy, Gianforte, he ran for uh, governor last year and lost. And Democrats totally slammed him as New Jersey millionaire, you know, Greg Gianforte. And it seemed to work. I mean, Trump won Montana by 20 points, which is what makes this House race really, really hard. But at the same time, Democrats have had success in winning statewide in Montana, like the governor's race last year. So, yeah, there's a shot. It's definitely, I think, a harder race than Georgia, which, Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to be clear, the Georgia race is still very hard, like you said, citing all those statistics about how Republican that seat is. Montana's a longer shot, but, uh, you know, uh, this guy, Gianforte, is pretty out of touch, I'd say, with Montana values. So I definitely think there's a shot there. Yeah, it seems to me if one is... You know, I mean, Montana really is about running a populist campaign. I mean, Montana, people may remember, they they wanted to strike back against the Citizens United decision because there was an old law there where they had banned uh, corporate spending in politics. They, you know, have a history of of, of union, uh, you know, union membership and, and trying to to, to um, regulate mining. And then, as you pointed out, you've got Bullock. You know who's governor. Uh, you've had John Tester now, who's kind of a, a populist, elected twice and running again for re-election uh, in the Senate. And and so it's it's a strange state that way. It did go for Trump, but people remember Trump faked people out by running a pretty populist campaign and pretending he was you know anti-trade and these other things. And so um, it is. It, it, you're right. It's not an easy win, but it's also not you know it's not Alabama either. It's it, it is doable for Democrats. They've been able to win there. Um, That's and exactly right. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was I was just going to throw in uh, that in that you mentioned Bullock, the governor who beat Gianforte last year. Uh, you know, in terms of the populist tradition in Montana, one thing they're really really big on is open access to public lands for hunters and fishers. And mm-hmm. um, Gianforte is a big property owner, and he tried to prevent access to a stream that he had properties bordering along and even sued the state to try to uh, allow him to not let people onto this river. Oh, God. And that was a huge issue in last year's race. And it's really the kind of, you know, douchey one percenter thing uh, that you try to do. And it made him look completely out of step with with those populist Montana values. Oh, no. I mean, that's the perfect issue to run on. I mean, that you know, if you know, folks, you know, what, some of the races out west, the, that's a, that issue in places like Montana and Colorado and 
and Nevada. I mean, I think on some of those issues, the Democrats, you know, a few, I don't remember how long ago it was recently, even a couple of years ago, had a, had a governor of Wyoming for two terms who ran on, on those and other issues. So um, that's incredibly important. Do you think in the, in Kansas, there is a chance? Well, actually, you know what? I think we're about to head to a break. Why don't we save picking up on what's going on in Kansas and also some politics around Trump uh, after the break? It's David Neer with me, folks, political director of Daily Coast. We'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter. Once again, you are listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm guest hosting for Leslie for the rest of this hour. We, uh, we left off talking about some congressional races. We're lucky enough to have with us a very, very smart man, David Neer, who is the political director at Daily Coast and probably knows more about races than everybody at Cook Political Reports combined. How's that work, David? Is that good enough? I should have... <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to put that in our press package. I should have thrown in Rothenberg, too. Um, <laughs> no, you know, you were there before, like, a lot of the, you know, the kind of the, I'm trying to think of what I would call it, but the data kind of uh, trend came in and people started, like, a lot of people started to sort of, you know, look at these races who weren't sort of the big poobahs of D.C. You were actually were doing it before most, so, and I know because I was reading. Um so what do you so, so we left off with um with Kansas. I don't know if we have a chance there. That's Pompeo's seat. I've heard some people who think there's a glimmer of hope. Maybe that's too optimistic. I don't know. What do you think? So this is Kansas's fourth congressional district and it's really really Republican. Uh Trump won with something 60 or more percent there. And what 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 I the, the way I want to suggest looking at a lot of these races. You know, people are excited right now. They want to get involved wherever they can, and they should. But the important thing, I think, to look at is not necessarily the win-loss record, though that's important, but the margin, the final margin in a lot of these races. Because if there are seats that Democrats are typically losing by 20 to 30 points, and all of a sudden, instead, we're losing them by 5, 10, 15 points, that's bad news for Republicans. Because it just so happens that the slate of seats that are coming up right now are all on GOP turf. But come 2018, there are going to be a lot of much more vulnerable Republicans up for re-election. And if some Republican who only won by five points, now all of a sudden, you know, things shift and they're, they're, they're losing by five points next time. So I think that's what I'm going to be looking at in, in, in the race in Kansas and another one in South Carolina to see where the final margin winds up. Yeah, I think that's important. Is we you have to use what occurred before as a benchmark, make that comparison, um, you know, and be realistic. But obviously, we want some symbols to really get people excited about what's going on. And I think winning some of these races um, could be huge. And obviously, also, you know, we we haven't talked Trump for you know for the most part, which is interesting. But with you know three different polls, what one showing him at thirty four, one at thirty five, and one at thirty eight. And the generic ballot now is Republicans down by six, I believe, which is it's never been that way at this point in time before. You combine those two things. I mean, 
you know, I, look, I, I, Donald Trump's Donald Trump. I could see him ginning up any kind of crisis to try to get people's minds off of 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 what he's doing. I, you know, there's no there's no trusting. But assuming he can't pull something off that misdirects everybody, I don't really expect his numbers to go anywhere, but to continue to go down. Frankly, I mean, I'm I'm looking for that Bush 26. What do you think? You think we? That's when when Bush left office and had 26 percent. I, I kind of came to the conclusion around that time when I saw 26% for a couple of different crazy things that that seems to be the percent that you can, that will believe anything. <laughs> I, th- I think that's about right. I think uh, Nixon's approval rating on the eve of his resignation was 24% maybe. So okay. yeah, I think that's the, the unreachable crowd. But the numbers that you point to about Trump's approvals and also the generic congressional ballot. I think if the election, if, if we ha- had a snap election held tomorrow, I think Democrats would do quite well. Uh, the thing is, we have so much time left on the clock. It's such a long right. way to November of 2018, and so much can change. But I think, as you allude, with Trump, it, it, are, are things really going to change for the better? I mean, the economy is already good right now, so it's not like he can benefit from a soaring economy, uh, maybe some sort of sugar rush or something like that temporarily. But yeah, I I would not really bet on things getting better with Trump. But I'm also very reluctant to make predictions for something that's a year and a half out. No, and I I think that's right. I mean, we do have to, again, you know, I'm not even sitting here and playing Alex Jones and saying false flag. I'm just saying Donald Trump is incompetent enough that any number of things from natural disasters to terrorist attacks to who knows what can happen that can lead to a rally around, around the leader effect. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I think it's a little different than Bush in that there's a lot of negativity towards Trump already baked in the cake. But, you know, things change in time. But I, I definitely don't see him from day to day politics being able to, to get back to a, a really solid point. You know, I mean, he had that one oh. good speech. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I agree with exactly what you said. That, 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 that's part of why I'm reluctant to handicap too far ahead, simply because, you know, there are certainly things that could happen that could redound to Trump's benefit. Yep. No, and I, yeah, I think we're in total agreement. Well, I think we are coming up on the end of the half hour. Thank you, David Neer, so much for being on and enlightening us. Uh, David Neer, political director of Daily Coast. Everybody go check him out at Daily Coast, and hopefully we'll, we'll have him on again soon. Thanks, David. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. 8886 Leslie. Welcome back once again, folks. This is Cliff Schechter. I am hosting the Leslie Marshall Show. That is where you find yourself right now. Um, we have a fantastic guest coming up after our discussion of congressional and even domestic politics the past half hour. Now we're going to go a little bit more into what is going on with foreign policy and how that's influencing our politics here. Uh, we are lucky enough to have John Aravosis, the founder, proprietor of America Blog who also has a history working as a foreign policy advisor. I believe it was Senator Ted Stevens back in the day. And uh, the U.N. more recently. John, are you with us? Hey, Cliff, I am. Great to have you. Thanks for being here. 
So we need a man. <laughs> so is there anything going on out there, John? I'm not sure. I know. It's been, it's been quiet in foreign policy land, just about as quiet as it's been domestically. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, I don't need, you know, where should we start? I, how about we, we start? It. I mean, it's been a mess. You know, it's not going to change, I think, under Trump, but. No. Um, well, why don't we start with this whole Susan Rice thing, being it's related to foreign policy. Is there, I mean, so she was doing her job, and apparently that's a really bad thing. Is there anything else to this that I'm missing? Well, no. I, you know, there was a really interesting discussion on CNN the other night, and Juliet Kayam, who a number of your uh, viewers have probably seen, mm-hmm. this really smart uh, terrorism expert, she was on and she pointed out something really interesting, which was the way unmasking works is – you sit there as Susan Rice, and she said, let's pretend this is General Flynn who was unmasked. She goes, you're Susan Rice, and you get a document that says the Russian ambassador is talking to American male number one and discussing the sanctions. And Susan right. goes, well, okay, I'd like to know more about who this person is. This is kind of interesting. Who, what American is getting involved with U.S. sanctions back in December? So she asks the National Security Agency. She has to give a good reason why this helps add to the intelligence. NSA then can very easily say no, and they have before, right? So it's not carte blanche for the White House. And right. then, then they tell Susan Rice, okay, just so you know, that person was Michael Flynn. Julia <laughs> Kayyem's point was she wouldn't know who he was. She wouldn't know he was part of the Trump campaign or the Trump transition until after the name is unmasked. So it can't be political per se. She right. didn't know this was a Trump person, so she couldn't say, hey, let's go find the Trump people. And right, unless she has some impressive – Right, unless she has some, some sort of Harry Potter-like skills, seeing male number one and somehow knowing that has to be a member of the Trump administration. That seems a bit exactly. of a stretch. No, exactly. You know, so that, that's one big point. Another point, which is interesting because I'm visiting you know, my mom in the Midwest, and I always – I know, you know you, you're living around here now too. It's always interesting to get sort of that – I like sort of the Midwest grass you know, grassroots kind of feel. And talking yep. to Republicans out here, even the staunchest Trump Republicans are admitting things are a little wacky. You know, they think he's yeah. a little weird, a little crazy, right? But on this issue, I had one Republican say to me, who I trust his opinion really strong, says, what the hell are you doing talking to the Russians anyway? If you're talking to the Russians, I better hope we're spying on you. And that's right. sort of one point that people are missing, too, is even though Susan Rice, you know, the Rice thing is, is, is just BS. You know, we, we all know it's, it's trying to deflect attention from Trump. But one of the underlying points here was the reason you guys got caught up in all of this is because you've been doing some really creepy stuff even before you got into office, which takes right. us to the Seychelles and other issues that I know you might want to talk about. Absolutely. I'll say quickly, yeah, I mean, I live in Cincinnati. I grew up in New York, lived in D.C., lived in Philly. I mean, the Amtrak line was my thing. And, and you know, the Midwest, there's a very sort of – Republicans are uh, – I'm not saying all. You, can, you know, I'm generalizing, of course, but it's much more of a down-to-earth kind of, you know, traditional, like, staid Republicanism. And so when the, all this crazy stuff's going on with Trump, I mean, I know a bunch of Republicans who didn't even vote for Trump. But of the ones who did, it's true. The one they're, Now they're just sort of like, what the hell is all of this, right? Yeah, I mean, they, you they don't know, like Hillary, and they, they still tell me, well, I hate Hillary. Oh, of course, really right. They don't. They never bought into the crazy Republican stuff, and usually that meant far right. Now it just means crazy, and they don't like right. it. Right. No, that stuff it was much more a southern phenomenon. Yeah, and parts of the West that were more sort of radical. In any case, um, yeah. so yeah, so while we're talking about this, this, this subject, you know, we find out, I mean, there was one day, I think it was two days ago, where three Russia stories came out. We had, as you pointed out, Eric Prince in the Seychelles, who I think Eric right. Prince – 
my my theory is he eventually becomes the E. Howard Hunt type guy of this administration. Um, second, you know, we're going to find out he was in a lot of places we didn't know he right. was. Second, uh, you find out Carter Page was literally talking to spies in 2013. And they were trying to recruit him. <laughs> right. Making fun of him and trying to recruit him. And then the third one is this Alpha Bank new story with this pinging server in Trump yeah. Tower. And then the other 20 – that was 80 percent of the time it was pinging. It was Alpha Bank. And then the other 20 percent of the right. time it was the company owned by Eric Prince's – is it Eric Prince's and, and Betsy DeVos's dad? I mean what is – like yeah. wh- what is going on here? A lot of sm- – what was uh, Chris Liz at the Washington Post wrote at one point, and now this was maybe six weeks ago, and he said, where there's smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke, there's usually fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right, isn't it? You know, Chris – I'm calling you Chris. Uh, you know, it's so weird, Cliff, because th- we're at the point now where John McCain's famous quote about, you know, this is a centipede that keeps losing its shoes, because how many shoes have to drop here? There's just – too weird of a connection with Russia. It's going on too much. There, there are too many things that are that are basically have the whiff of subterfuge to them. You know that they keep hiding this. Why did they have to set up a back channel communication with the Russians in January? You know, uh, why did they sneak the Russian ambassador into Trump Tower in December to meet with Jared Kushner and General Flynn? He's the Russian ambassador. I mean, you can meet him if you want. They snuck him in. No record of it. Deny any of these meetings until it goes public. The they're still denying that meeting that that they they used Derek Prince, according to the Washington Post, to have this like back channel communication set up with the Russians. For what purpose? Why did you right. need a secret? Well, I have one theory actually. Why Trump wanted a secret line of communication with the Russians because he doesn't trust the U.S. intelligence or any of our agencies, and and he literally thinks he's going to like do foreign policy without the actual U.S. government being involved. You know, Jared's going to travel around the world and, and do all of this with no agency, you know, help whatsoever. And of course, there's you know, the, the, too much. There's too much spy work going on for this to be nothing. Right. It, it, it's, it's almost like none of these guys have any idea how our intelligence community works, which is you're not going to have meetings in the Seychelles. You're not going to talk to Russian ambassadors. You're not going to do stuff like that and not have our intelligence people find it out. Yeah. I mean, I hate to tell you. Listening. Right. I mean, these guys think they're geniuses, apparently, and they figured out something nobody else can. Guess what? They're going to catch you. All right. I mean, I don't. And and again, can you imagine Hillary Clinton having five percent, let's say, of of the, you know, connections in terms of Bannon, Kushner, Page, you know, uh, Flynn. uh, I mean, the the list, you know, Tillerson being a medal pinned on him. I mean, if that had ever happened with Hillary, somebody in Hillary's administration by anybody like that. Just on its own, and there's so many connections to Russia. There's so many unanswered questions. Because Rachel's been Rachel Maddow's been really harping on this. The Russian guy Trump like bought the home tour, sold the home tour, whatever the hell he did. Oh, in West Palm Beach for like a sixty million dollar profit. Well, and tied to the weird bank in Cyprus that Trump's own, you know, cabinet is tied. I mean, it's. Any one of these scandals would have been like 10 or 100 times Benghazi had it been right. a Democrat doing it. And, but, but again, putting that aside, because you know, politically, of course, each party is going to downplay their own scandals and try to upplay the other scandals. We know that. What's, what's obviously so troubling about this is it's not just the whiff of corruption that follows this administration everywhere. We, we're still talking about whether Trump and his team are in collusion with foreign spies to – basically work against American interests, whether it's just to right. line their own pockets or what. That's just 
horrifying, and the story doesn't keep going away. It keeps getting deeper and deeper, especially, like you said, the Carter Page thing the other day, which it's one small aspect of the story, and Carter Page was a small player, but he was still big sure. enough that Donald Trump mentioned him a year ago as one of his top foreign policy advisors. So he wasn't That's nothing. right. But we now find out not only was the guy talking to Russian intelligence, not only did he provide Russian intelligence with information they wanted, but he, they, they had him on the <laughs> list for, for recruitment as a spy. Right. They like were, they're like sending emails making fun of what an idiot. Actually, I think they used the word idiot or imbecile to describe him. Um, I know. Well, that's funny. I mean, that's the thing here. But no, it's it's um, it's weird. Well, look, when you add all this up, John, and then you too much Russia, Russia, Russia here. It's creepy. And you know, far I mean, you know, foreign policy. You did some work back in the day in a more bipartisan time for Ted Stevens. So you there had to be. I'm sure you have an understanding somewhat of of. Um, energy politics too. I mean, you look at the sanctions we have. You look at the, the what, what Russia is sitting on in terms of an energy their energy economy, and then right. you bring Rex Tillerson in. You know, you're. I mean, how much of that? Again, smoke, 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 smoke. Right. I mean, you, like it almost writes itself. Sure, somebody wants sanctions gone. Somebody wants to be able to make the money they can make uh, uh, off of energy. And oops, let's throw you a bone. How about you know, let's throw you what you need for you to make that happen. For I mean. I, this isn't that hard to figure out, I think, on some level. I'm not saying there could be more that we never even thought of, but you want to buy a foreign policy, you get Donald Trump in there, surround, get him to surround himself by all these jokers he has, uh, and, and you hopefully get the, the foreign policy you want. I don't know. It seems – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one – a point I was going to make is I think we are used to Republicans coming into power and – being a little bit corrupt, or when I say corrupt, I mean, of course, they are going to try to do stuff that helps American business a little more at the expense of good things, such as all of us not dying in a climate disaster. You know, so so it's no surprise, even though it's horrible, that all these cabinet appointees are doing bad things. But what's weird is, you know, what's tying it all together is much more of a sense of of a kleptocracy, you know, of of, yeah. of building almost a Russia-style government where there's there's already the smell of so much corruption with a number of these appointees and it ties back again to Trump and his family uh, somebody the other day was talking about it was really a good idea that Jared had visited you know Trump's son-in-law had, had right. visited Iraq on behalf of the US because it showed how serious we took the Iraqi government that he sent his son-in-law and another person made an excellent point which was well the reason they took it seriously is because that's what despots in the region do. They send their kids as ambassadors. Right. Democracies don't. Right. <laughs> you know? When you send him, it's sort of like you, usually you send him with a machine gun at his side. Hold on. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, usually you do, and you send him with a machine gun at his side and make some sort of a big corrupt deal in the middle of the desert somewhere. You know? I mean, it, right. Like, it's just, I mean, that's what I mean. You send him. kids, yeah. Right. He's going to Iraq before Tillerson goes there. I mean, so that, yes, that aspect of it's ridiculous. To me, the fact that, you, you know, again, on the foreign policy front, that Trump stood up and made a lot of noise about getting rid of the one China policy. And magically, when he got all the trademarks approved yep. in China, worth millions to him, he's back on board. I, I mean, yeah. I, I almost beyond the Russian stuff, I've almost never seen something that smells so much of a quid pro quo to me where he's used the United States almost as leverage. Yeah. And our policy is leverage. Um, and, and that's what I mean. Like, the, yeah. yeah, go ahead. That one was an obvious quid for quo on that one. I think usually, you know, I was hoping you'd see it would be a little less connected. But that one, sure, see, including the massage parlor trademarks or whatever that crazy story was. Right. Um, but 
One of the things we also have to keep in mind is, and this is incredibly dangerous for foreign policy, is Trump doesn't mean what he says. And what I mean by that is maybe he means it at the time, maybe. He has this sort of, you know, no inner sphincter that stops him from just spewing whatever <laughs> whatever he just saw on TV. Whatever he's moment, thinking right? at the moment, yeah. But he doesn't really understand it, and he's not going to necessarily stick to it. And even if, even if, and this is a big if, Trump had some grand plan when he talked about China or some grand plan, you know, when he talks about Syria or whatever, we know that he's willing to throw it all out the window for, a, for what he sees as a better deal, meaning he's willing to abrogate any deal, he said, because you can actually get a better deal. You get a deal, and then a year later you say, nope, I'm, I've got you by the balls, and I'm not going to fulfill the deal. You better cut me a better price or I walk away. That in foreign policy is incredibly dangerous because it means whether it's the Russian, the Chinese, the North Koreans, anybody we deal with, they should not trust us anymore when we try to cut a deal with them. And, that, no, and that's what scares me on the China thing, but on everything is what this guy says doesn't matter, but also what deal he inks doesn't really mean the U.S. is going to abide by the deal. I think that's just dangerous. Yeah, let's talk more about that. We're about to head to a break, John. Um, we have John Aravosis with us, the founder of the Great America blog, and uh, I believe that uh, we'll be back in a second or two. We'll talk some more about uh, foreign policy, consistency, and everything else Trump lacks. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. And welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter. I am guest hosting for Leslie Marshall, and this is indeed the Leslie Marshall Show. We left John Aravosis of America blog, and I were talking about how lack of consistency in foreign policy gets people killed, which is, in fact, what what does happen. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that with John. First, I'll say, John, um, the producer, our great producer of the show here, Mark Grimaldi, was just G-chatting me and saying what a great rapport that uh, you and I have on air. And I had to joke and say... You know, I wrote a column for John's blog, and I'm scared to say how long ago it was because it may be 15 years now. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I, I mean, certainly well, when I started it, yeah. you know, like uh, the I, I uh, you know, I probably wrote for about three or four years for you yeah. a Cliff's Corner blog on Fridays where I just go nuts about crazy things that bothered me and uh, here. That's right. Back in the days when uh, we were late twenties, early thirties. I don't know what happened to us, but oh, uh, that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> those were good days. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so what, uh, I'm sure. What other topics did you want to hit on all of this today? Well, I think you know, just in general, the the I think what you're saying at the end there. I mean, we're looking at what's going on in Syria, which is important. I want to actually 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 ask you a question about your opinions about what can and should be done in Syria. But I, I first want to say. You know, when you look at this, obviously Trump has sort of said, eh, you know, no big deal what they do. There are people that got on Obama for not standing up strongly enough and, and, and not making it clear there would be repercussions. I think as some, when I'm objective that maybe people had some arguments there with Obama. It was some of that stuff. He, I think he ended up great in foreign policy with Cuba and with Iran and a number of things. But I think there were some legitimate arguments there. But if there were legitimate arguments there – 
right now what Trump's done is essentially sort of because of exactly what you were saying before we went to the break. He says what he feels at any moment. There is no consistency from one moment to the next. So really, how can I mean, how can any country take seriously what he says at any given time? Right. Which means not only the negotiations end up being difficult, but whatever agreement is reached is difficult because you should not trust Donald Trump. He, he will not keep the agreement if he thinks he can screw you and get a better one. And, yeah, the Russians operate that way to a degree, but, right. you know, it's, it, the United States does not make agreements it doesn't intend to keep. That's, that is the, the mantra. That is Trump's sort of core value. Um, you know, another thing that gets a little scary with sort of all of this is I was looking back earlier today, and not only were there like three or four tweets, there are around eight tweets from Trump back in August and September of 2013, um, when this whole issue of Obama's red line, and if, if, you know, if Assad and Syria crossed it, we were going to do something really bad, we weren't going to tell them, and people thought that meant military action. And then Assad goes and gasses his people for the, you know, I was looking, there were something like 130 gas attacks that have happened now. Jeez. I didn't realize it was that many. I didn't either. That's... We've had in the last several years in Syria, right? Assad goes and does a really big one that freaks everybody out. Obama doesn't bomb him, even though a lot of his advisors wanted him to. He didn't, or what the advisors wanted him to do was perhaps arm the opposition, right? You know, so almost yep. like an Afghanistan situation all over again. Obama doesn't want to do it, and Trump at the time issues not three or four, but eight different tweets over a period of three or four days, telling Obama, "You better not, you better not, you better not get more military involved." It was a mistake to even threaten a red line. We can't get involved. And his final tweet was, <laughs> let me make this easy for you. Stay out of Syria. Uh, Trump and, but, absolutely was on the side of not getting involved militarily. Now he's trying to claim that's some huge mistake, and he's hinting at military action today. You know, It's whatever it's in, in his interest at any moment. Part of the problem – Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just saying it's it's whatever is in his interest at any moment. Again, Correct. nothing he says mind, should be taken seriously. It's interest. Sometimes it's Machiavelli. Sometimes it's just a 13 year old child spouting off. You know. So yes. You just don't know. Um, you know, as far as the way forward, what's hard is, and it's funny. We on the left, I think, always find ourselves in this weird position of either we're against intervention because we say. Who knows what comes next, you know, if, whatever. Or we're for intervention because we say this leader is so bad, something has to be done. Iraq was not just a good lesson for Obama, meaning you've got to realize three or four years ago, Obama was elected to get us out of the Middle East. He right. was not elected to start another war. So you still have the aftermath of Iraq, which you've got to take into account when you ask, why didn't Obama bomb the hell out of them or arm the insurgents, right? So that's the first problem people have to keep in mind. Second of all, um, the uh, – oh, shoot, I'm going to forget my second point here. Um, oh, what comes next is – a really important point, and it's a point the left usually understands more than the right. We get rid of really bad people or really good people, it doesn't matter, but a strong man running a government, and then what happens? Everything can fall apart. You know, Saddam right. Hussein... We have 30 Hussein seconds, by the way, John, just so you know. Together, even though he was a very bad man, it doesn't mean we want him there, right, at the time. Right. But, but look what happens when the bad guys leave. These countries fall apart. Russia. There's a big Russia vacuum. It fell apart, too. I'm kind of glad, but could have been a really scary mess. Yep. So listen, we won't solve it today. We'll work on solving other days. We'll probably fail then too. Thanks so much for coming on, John. Thanks for all of your insight into foreign policy and politics. Really enjoyed having you. Enjoyed having David Neer of Daily Coast on. This is Cliff Schechter. I'm signing off. It's been a lot of fun filling in for Leslie Marshall yet again. 
listen tomorrow, the next day, the rest of your life. Leslie Marshall Show. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.